Would you take your scriptures and turn to Zephaniah? That would be the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah chapter 3. We'll be reading it in its entirety. Zephaniah 3. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Woe to her who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to light. He never fails, but the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their fortresses are devastated. I have made their secrets desolate. Who with none passing by? Their cities are destroyed. There is no one, no inhabitant. I said, surely you will fear me. You will receive instruction so that her dwelling would not be cut off despite everything for which I have punished her. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger, all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will destroy resort to the people of pure language. They will that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. For then I will take away your, from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back, even at that, the, the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, you have called us as your people to go forth and feed your sheep, to make disciples of people from all nations. We can only do that when we know the truths of your word. 
Grant us the spiritual insight we need to look into your word and grow in our understanding. Open this passage of scripture to us this morning and help us to learn from it. Take the things you teach us through your Holy Spirit and apply them in our hearts. Help us to make a difference in the lives of others. We ask these things of you in the name of our Lord, our only begotten Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We come to the close of Zephaniah this morning. We see Zephaniah closing his book with some very real, comforting, and encouraging promises. O. Palmer Robertson, as he introduces this section in his commentary, says, At the beginning of this book, you find the most awesome description of the wrath of God in judgment found anywhere in Scripture. He goes on to add that in these closing verses, you also find one of the most moving descriptions of the love of God for his people found anywhere in Scripture. We heard his promise in the last sermon about the taking away of sin. He follows that with the promise of taking away troubles. Matthew Henry opines, when the cause is removed, the effect will cease. The idea here is that what makes someone holy is what will make them happy. What we learn from this is really eye-opening. These precious promises made to a people who have been made pure will build them up in the truth of the gospel, in their hope, and in their enjoyment of life. This is what the prophet is showing. This causes the people of God to rejoice and sing, as verse 14 shows. They will come in these promises, shouting for joy with gladness and rejoicing in their hearts. This joy will be in the heart, and it will be great. This comes from verse 13, where God promised to mortify their sins and remove their fears. In verse 16, they will be able to throw off all their discouragements. They are called to fear not, and hope is introduced into their lives. They are told to lift up their hands and rejoice in the works of their God. They can come before God in prayer and grow in their faith and hope. Let's turn to Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20, and see what these precious promises are, which are so boldly made to the people of God. Promises made to, as Matthew Henry says, for the banishing of their griefs and fears and the encouraging of their hopes and joys. These promises are also made to us today as believers in Jesus Christ. There are These are the things your Lord is going to do for all who believe and trust in him and in him alone. The Lord will end troubles. He will come. He will bless. He will comfort. He will restore. And the Lord will give honor. The woe of judgment is replaced with the cry to rejoice and sing. Despite the coming judgment, Zephaniah calls these people to lift up their voices in singing to and shout and be jubilant. Verse 14. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The message has been clear up to this point. The sins of the nation, they have brought them to the judgment of God. But even in the face of such a terrible event, these are the people of God. And the people of God can always look past the judgment of their sins to the hope of grace. Even in the face of the horror of sin and its consequences, there is hope for the people who place their hope and trust in God and in God alone. How is this possible? 
The words of judgment and the devastation brought are so sharp and dark until all hope seems to be shattered. Verse 15. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. The Lord God Almighty. He's come. He's come to do for you what it was impossible for you to do for yourself. He's taken away your judgments. He's taken away your punishments. He has cleared your record. He has made you holy and acceptable for him by an act of his own will. He has turned your enemies away. He defeated them and relieved you of their terror. This is not a new promise. For in Genesis twenty-two seventeen, 17, God told Abraham his descendants would possess the cities of his enemies. In Genesis 49, 8, he declared that Judah would have his hand upon the neck of his enemies. In Deuteronomy 28, 7, God tells Israel their enemies will flee before them. Here Zephaniah promises that all of their enemies will be scattered. How will all of this be possible? It is possible because God is sovereign and he is in total control of everything in this world. He says, the Lord himself, who is the rightful king of Israel, will be with you. This was the promise of the covenant with Israel. God would be her king. Numbers 23, 21 says, the Lord his God is with him. And the shout of a king is among them. The kingship of God over his people was shown in the establishment of the Davidic monarchy. We also learn through this line of David that God does establish himself as king over Israel. Zephaniah makes no mention of the Davidic line, but clearly shows that God will be their king. This is a prefigure of the coming reign of Christ as the king of kings and lord of lords. What is there to sing about except that Jesus Christ came into this world to do for you what you could never do for yourself? He came and cleared away all the judgments against you. He came taking your punishment of himself to free you from your sins. Your rejoicing can be in nothing but the works of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes, then will they shout. And the shout of the king will be heard among them. This is the redemption promise. This message is the hope and encouragement to stand fast even in the face of judgment. What will be the result of these troubles being removed? It will be that you shall see disaster no more. How wonderful is that? When all the enemies of God's people are brought under control and the Lord is living in their midst, then there will be no reason for fear. Jesus said not to fear the one who could kill your body. Fear the one who could kill body and soul. You don't need to be terrified by God. If you're properly following the authority God has given for your protection. This is the message Zephaniah is giving. Not just to the people of his day. But to all the people of God across all the ages. What we see in this is that the Lord will come. He will come into the midst of his people and will bring with him a relief from the struggles of the wicked lifestyle. Verse 16. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. 
what happens when the Lord comes. He's established as their king. Once he is king, there's no reason for them to fear. Here is one of the greatest benefits of having God as your king. You don't need to fear. Jesus Christ came into our world to do for his people what they could never do for themselves. It's his work that removes fear from your heart. You can never do what the law required, and that's to live a perfect life. Jesus did that for you. You had nothing you could offer God to forgive the sins you committed. Jesus went to Calvary's cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Everything required by God's law to give you a place in his kingdom was accomplished by the coming of the king. Therefore, you don't need to fear what will come become of your soul. You have peace. You have rest in this great king. All that is required of you right now is to believe and trust in your king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Zephaniah is showing that this one was sent to reconstitute the destroyed nation of Israel. He was sent to bring them peace and joy so great they couldn't help but sing and shout of the wonder it produced. That is why we gather here every Sunday morning. We gather to collectively raise our voices in praise of what Zephaniah prophesies we will have. That will be a new kingdom of God. It will be a New Testament church. We call it the Church of Jesus Christ. What we learn is that fear is a paralyzing agent. He says, let not your hands be weak. In Isaiah 13, 7, we learn that the coming of the God's judgment brings limp hands because of the terror it produces. Ezekiel says every hand will go limp and every knee will become weak as water. Why? Because of God's judgment. Fear brings rational thought to a stop. It destroys the ability to act. It paralyzes men. The Lord is calling these people who hear the message of hope he brings to not allow fear to control them. He wants them to be busy. He will deliver them from every enemy, not so they can indulge in self-gratification, but can work in the performance of the duties God has called them to. What you learn from the Lord coming into your midst is the need for discipline. A discipline that calls you to activity rather than breaking your spirit. This is very much a part of the new covenant. Mr. Robertson explains, those who have the privilege of being confirmed in the love of God by his gracious disciplines are admonished. They're admonished in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. The point is that God will bless those who follow him. We come to a great explanation of the love of God. Now I want you to turn with me to verse 17. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It's a very important verse. Verse 17. The Lord your God in your midst... The mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. 
And Mr. Robinson says, this is the equivalent Old Testament verse to John 3.16. You learn here that the love of God is not some kind of mushy love based only on feelings and hormones. That kind of love is weak and easily comes and goes. This is a strong, firm love that comes from a divine commitment. That This is God. He is a great God and he is filled with a great love. He loves his saints. He's committed to them as Philippians 1.6 shows when it says, once he begins a good work in them, he will not quit until it's finished. God doesn't do anything halfway. He finishes what he starts. When he declares his love for you, you can be sure that love will never disappoint or change. It will always be there to bless. It would be impossible to make this any clearer than he does in the next phrase. The mighty one will save. The word in the Hebrew for mighty could be translated mighty hero. Such a one is a warrior who overpowers his enemies. Isaiah 42, 13. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. As the omnipotent God, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, the warrior hero, he defends, he protects those weaker than himself. This mighty hero is coming to his people and will live in their midst clothed with the power to save. His people may fall into many troubles and be overwhelmed by sin. But when all is sorted out, it will be his power that destroys every enemy and saves the believer's soul from death. It is the love he lives in that produces this salvation and guarantees the deliverance of all who place their hope and trust in him. Just as Zephaniah says, the people will sing, rejoice, and be glad, so will God himself. The fact God delights in his creation is one thing. It is quite another to see him rejoice over a bunch of rebellious sinners. You will see God breaking out and singing, being joyful with delight and all because of you. We find God in celebration of your salvation. I can't imagine. I can't imagine anything more wonderful than to have God rejoicing over me. I hope you do too. This concept of love is very broad in that it reaches to the whole world, to the pe- to people of every nation, tribe, and language group. This is not just some hypothetical possibility. No, this is historical reality. We see today people around the world believing in Jesus Christ and holding to his love for them as it is expressed in the scriptures. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Zephaniah's prophecy. What you see in all of this is, as Matthew Henry says, the condescension of divine grace. This great and almighty God does not simply love his saints. He loves to love them. He is overjoyed that they are part of his family and the objects of his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He is grieved when you sin. And he rejoices in your confession and repentance. He takes pleasure in you. In you, Jesus Christ will be glorified. He will be admired and his blessings will flow. God also promises to bring comfort to his people. Verse 18. 
I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. The promise in this is that God will gather his people back. He will bring them comfort after this judgment is complete. John Calvin says God is declaring this comfort will come at a predetermined time, showing it not a specific date, but that it will happen in his time. He's leaving his people in some suspense in order to keep them ever watchful and always preparing. The call is to patiently wait for God. This is one of man's worst problems, to always be in haste. You know, we learn a little bit, and here we go, charging all full steam without a clue as to what the end results will be. You can see in this so many today. They are consumed with the end times when God has given us only what should cause us to be preparing and ready when it comes. You cannot predict when God will close out his work in this world. Mr. Calvin says, this time is that which he has appointed, not what we desire. What this verse is showing is that those who have gone through judgment are under the reproach of this world. This is shown in the Jews as they suffered under exile. You can see it throughout history with the church as she has been persecuted in places where other religions have taken power. This is because the true worship of God is grounded in a divine truth, not a bunch of superstitions developed by heathen men. This is why such men persecute the true believers because they cannot stand before a divine truth. God's promise of comfort is seen in the fact he will gather those who have been under reproach. What he is saying is it doesn't matter if the world laughs at you because of your faith. He calls you to wait patiently and be true to his promise. That promise is made clear by Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The day is coming. The day is coming when all sorrows will be removed from God's people. They will be wiped out. Promise continues when God says he will overcome all obstacles to restore his people. Verse 19, behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. Again, again, he says they must wait on the Lord. This deliverance will come in the fullness of time, as Paul says in Galatians he shows this will come because God is sufficient in his power to subdue all the oppressors. He emphasizes this with the words, at that time. Here's the truth about this matter. God's people will have to wait until he is ready. John Calvin says in reference to the Jews, they must wait as long as God pleases to exercise them under the cross. Why did God not give them the date of Christ's coming? Why does he not give us the date of his return? 
If he gave the Jews the date, they would have taken their ease until it was almost upon them. They wouldn't have gone to church. They wouldn't have done anything until the last few months. The same is true of us. We wouldn't be any better. Men will do everything they can to avoid trouble. And it is sure that to live the Christian life is to experience trouble. Men desire greatly rest and immunity from wicked things. Therefore, God exhorts you to be patient. It is important to note he will not become your deliverer except you submit yourself to his chastisements. Zephaniah is condemning the haste we so often fail, fall into when, we, when God chastens us. It would be very good if you could come to the understanding that no matter how slowly your deliverance seems to be coming, there is no reason whatsoever for you to fall into despair or to allow yourselves to be broken in spirit. God makes a very clear promise when he declares, I will save the lame and gather those who are driven out. God will not allow one of those he has called, not one of the elect, to be lost. Jesus made that clear in John 6, 39, when he said, I shall lose none of all he has given me. The promise to his people is, I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. Everyone will be drawn together. They will be seen by the world as children of God, living in a restored kingdom for eternity. This restoration is guaranteed. It's guaranteed to all who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. What will be the results of God's activity with his people? He will in the end give them honor. Verse 20. At that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. The first part of this verse is a repeat of what he's already said. It is given here as an emphasis to keep you on track. To remind you of the greatest part of this promised restoration. What is it he is going to give those he restores? I will give you honor and praise. The honor he speaks of here is a name. They will be known by the name of their Lord. Is that not what he means when he calls us Christians, that we are known by the name of our Lord? What he is saying is that even if his church is torn and in great disrepair as it is today, there is absolutely nothing to stop God from this wonderful process of restoration. When the believer comes to see that he is completely destitute of any hope in himself, then he does the power, then does the power of God work in his life. Where will this honor and praise be given? Among all the peoples of the earth. There will be people called by the name of the Lord in every corner of this world. God will call his people from every nation, tribe, and language group. He will place his name before all peoples and those carrying that name will be honored and praised by men because of the hope that name carries. I hope you can see this can only be accomplished through the works of Jesus Christ. It is Christ who was sent to save the world, both Jew and Gentile. Mr. Robertson says this worldwide recognition of Israel's glory will occur when the Lord returns their captives. 
Zephaniah continues, and in verse in New King James, it says, when I return your captives before your eyes. The NIV translates it this way, when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. The Hebrew word here can be used in both ways, as those held in captivity or as those who were held, who held a former state of prosperity. The Jews were carried off into captivity. That means they lost everything. They were as poor as poor could be. The promise is they would have their prosperity restored to them by a gracious God. But if we apply this to those who are captives of sin today, we understand they are being delivered from their captivity by their Lord. All who believe in Christ were captives to sin. In Christ, they're delivered from their sin. He makes the word captive plural because he's looking forward to the day of Christ's coming and his deliverance of all of his people. He is going to do this in the open where the eyes of all of his people will be able to see and testify to the grace of God. We look at these verses written around 630 B.C., over 2,600 years ago, and we have to wonder, how can they have any relevance to us today? These words were written to hear people about to die or if they were blessed to be carried off into captivity and slavery. Why do we need to waste our time examining such terrible facts of history? We believe we serve a sovereign God who is in charge of all men and nations of this world. He gives us some very clear commands concerning these words. Romans 15, 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I pray that as we have gone through this book of Zephaniah, you have gotten a clearer picture of God's plan for all of mankind. From the very beginning, even before the world was created, God had a plan, a plan to save a people unto himself. Throughout the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, that plan has not changed. The salvation of his people was his plan, and it would come through his only begotten son. Open your ears and hear and your hearts and believe, for there's no other hope. The only source of our hope is Jesus Christ. And all he did in his life, death, and resurrection. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, help us to build ourselves up in faith and guide as we pray in the Holy Spirit. Help us to keep ourselves in your love as we wait for the mercy you have promised in our Lord Jesus Christ to bring us to eternal life. Be merciful when we doubt, snatch us from the fire when we fail. And save our souls. Let us grow in mercy mixed with fear. Such that we learn to hate our sin and even our clothing that is stained by the corruption of the flesh. Open our ears to hear the wonder of your grace and our hearts to receive the blessings that come to us through Jesus Christ. For we pray in his name. Amen.